This operation is important, considering that it might lead to an alliance of planets. Bogans have a saying, one man can summon the future. What happens if that man throws away his life before his time? I've learned anything these past few years on Enterprise. It's that the future isn't fixed. If anything happens to you, and I better make sure that nothing does. Transfer complete. Welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, running like a gazelle. (laughs) And we are here this week to rank the Enterprise seasons. But before we do that, Tyler, I just want to give all of the listeners an update. My loot crate has arrived, the one we talked about last week that, uh, Seem to be taking multiple months to arrive. It is here. You can stop sending your flowers and sympathy cards. Was it worth the wait, Cam? Yeah, I think so. I got the Jaws slash Creature from the Black Lagoon. I think it was called like Creatures of the Deep or something like that. Um, Loot Crate. And it had a really cool um, Creature from the Black Lagoon t-shirt. Uh, and Jaws pin, Jaws shot glass, um, some Tremors socks. Overall, I was mostly happy. It, it, I feel like it paid for itself. With the t-shirt and the socks, everything else is kind of a bonus. Uh, they really marketed the hell out of the Jaws element, though. And I, I kind of thought that was a little lacking. What about the aquatic Zindi wetsuit that they uh, sent you? Oh, what I would have given... Well, they sent me like a Cthulhu um, plastic statue of Cthulhu answering the phone. Um, sure. I would have happily, happily traded that for an aquatic Zindi anything. I don't care what it is. <laughs> Okay. Make well, it like sea monkeys, those old sea monkey packages, and just relabel it Aquatic Zindi. I would be happier with that. <laughs> that would have actually been pretty amazing if they did. Should we be marketing that? Well, you know what? Um, yeah, if, we, if CBS is no longer licensing the Las Vegas Star Trek convention, we can pretty much sell whatever off-brand sort of uh, items we want at that point. <laughs> I am down. Let's start a table. Sea monkeys by Cam and Tyler. Okay, well, um, with that in mind, uh, with our rankings here, uh, look, we've done all the other series, and we also combined uh, Star Trek, the original series, with the animated series. But I really do think, like, if we're doing four seasons of those old 60s, 70s shows, I think we can do, like, four seasons of Enterprise as well, even though it's not quite seven seasons of, say, DS9 or TNG. But, Cam, this is an interesting one for me because, you know, when I set out to kind of work on what my rankings would be for each season, I just had it in my head. Like, I just naturally placed all the seasons in a particular order, and then I jumped over to the episode list to kind of see where that might influence things for me. And I actually did switch two seasons around, which I did not expect going in. But what was your process of just doing the research for this one ahead of time? So this one was kind of weird. Um, in you know, it's uh, we kind of had different takes on the past handful, where like my ordering was very much up in the air. Whereas you, as you said, you felt more set in terms of knowing which seasons went where. Um, with this one, 
I felt very confident in the order, but it was when kind of laying it out, I was thinking like, it's very like, it's, it's a weird season to rank because like when you're asking me to compare, you know, seasons three through seven of TNG, there's a consistency. Whereas with Enterprise, a lot of the seasons are doing very different things. So you're kind of in some ways comparing apples to oranges. Well, wasn't it that kind of one of the issues that you and I had when we tried to get together and figure out the rankings for Voyager? And for the first time, we could not come to a consensus. So we had to do separate season rankings for a series, which was just bizarre. But it was, like you said, like I think Voyager, it was just really all over the place. And you and I, I think, would often be drawn to different things. So even though a couple seasons did line up for us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Enterprise, though, it's like, a show that's very much in flux and like, and not flux, flux. Um, <laughs> when you look at like TNG, you can say, well, the first two seasons are obviously bumpy, but that's like the minority of the run of the show. Whereas like Enterprise, half the show, really, half of the runtime of the entire series is them kind of figuring out what their show is. So it makes it a weird show to rank because kind of where they wind up versus where they start feels pretty drastically different in intent well with that in mind um do you feel confident that you and i can come to a consensus on what the ultimate rankings are going to be for star trek enterprise yeah i don't think we have a voyager situation here okay, I, re okay. I really don't and, and look maybe there's a couple seasons like i don't feel strongly about where a versus b lands except there is that bit of a divide that you mentioned how um They've spent the first two seasons, as many Star Trek shows do, uh, trying to figure themselves out. But then, um, okay, why don't I go first? Just because I, I want to explain why I have this season ranked last. Okay. Um, last on my list is season one. And that is not what I expected going in. I What happened for me is I was watching season two of Enterprise after being glued to Star Trek for a decade plus. It was just week to week uh, from the TNG era, probably I think season four or five, I believe is when I started watching it. And I just was feeling burnt out with season two. And I actually remember... It was the episode Dawn. That was the episode that kind of killed my Star Trek viewing habits for about the next 10 years. Whoa, and whoa, whoa. Dawn, the episode I recommended as the perfect episode to introduce new Star Trek viewers to. <laughs> it was, Cam. And, and look, I, I'm not going to judge you too harshly on that because I, I really had... Um, I, I was in burnout mode. Dawn was the first episode of Star Trek on the air since Firefly was canceled just about uh, three weeks earlier. And I was absolutely enamored with Firefly. I just thought they were telling kind of these character-based sci-fi serialized stories that I really hadn't been getting since Deep Space Nine went off the air about you know three seasons before that. And then she just pull, it, pull the rug out from underneath me and then I go back and it is Dawn. And I just like I was just kind of like shrugging my shoulders a lot of the time, and I was just like, you know what? If I'm not enjoying this the way that I used to, like, why endure this? And, and so then I kind of turned, um, you know, Enterprise off, and I would come in every you know couple weeks, just maybe tune in, see if there's anything that was interesting me, and I, I just didn't really get that, you know, at that point. And and so maybe for a long time in my head, I had season two ranked at the bottom, but for me, 
it was in fact season one. And what it is, is I went through the ad exercise of, you know, just looking at episodes. And I realized that there were far more um, episodes that I'd look forward to rewatching in season two after I've done my subsequent Enterprise rewatch than maybe I get with season one. And let me say this. I think Broken Bow is a fantastic series premiere. It really does set the stage for what this show is all about. But Cam, what is your sense about that early those early seasons, maybe season one specifically, like my personal feeling, it felt kind of listless at times, you know, like what, okay, we get the mission statement set out for us, but are they really fulfilling that week to week? Or are they just kind of wandering around gazing at the stars in awe? Yeah. Okay. So I had season one last two and that wasn't really what I'd planned going in. I had season that, you know, well, I'm not going to say, but I, let's just say it was season one um, was not in last place. And the reason was that all of my memories of Enterprise were that season one, there was a sense of discovery about it. Like, it felt like I was experiencing something new. And so that drew me in. Plus, you had a lot of talk of, we're on our way to Ryza. Guys, we got to get to Ryza. So it's like, it felt like there was some momentum, even though that's like not the world's greatest hook for <laughs> the ongoing adventures of yeah. Enterprise, the like fifth Berman era show or whatever, fourth or fifth or whatever it was. Um, you know, like that's not the world's greatest hook for a season. But nonetheless, it felt like we were on a journey. And I remember, you know, the show not feeling like it kept that promise going forward. So in my mind, that was going to be last or sorry, uh, yeah, that was going to be um, maybe, you know, one spot up or something because of feeling that sense of discovery. But as I like to do is break down the seasons as well to, you know, the episodes I felt like were highlights and lowlights. And it was impossible not to notice that like season one is probably the rockiest season for consistency in episodes. And, you know, as you said, like Broken Bow is fantastic. And I think it I enjoy the first handful of episodes. I think Fight or Flight is a pretty decent episode as well. Um, Absolutely. I am, I think, a little more positive on Strange New World than you are. <laughs> I still do not like that episode, Cam. You'll never change my mind. <laughs> and, um, you know, Doc, uh, Dear Doctor, which is later in season one, is fantastic. But there's a couple of things that drag it down for me. You know, <sighs> the Temporal Cold War, which starts off promisingly enough in Broken Bow it gets very frustrating over the course of the season. And there's some real duds here, like real duds. Like I think of like Rogue Planet or Terra Nova. Like these are really bad episodes of Star Trek. And look, every season of Star Trek has bad episodes, but like this is the reinvention. And I just remember so much of the press at the time being about how this wasn't going to replicate the mistakes that they'd maybe, you know, people felt they were making in Voyager. Like there was a sense in the air that Star Trek was burning itself out. So Enterprise the show, was the show that needed to re-energize the franchise, take a new angle, do exciting new things. They were marketing it in ways they hadn't done with the other Star Trek shows. Um, I guess firstly taking the word Star Trek out of the title. Um, and yet I look at episodes like those and, you know, Desert Crossing, Detained. There's a few of them in there. Fortunate Son. These feel like the most mediocre, middle of the road, and in some cases really bad, like Berman-era Star Trek episodes you could imagine. So, like, why are they landing in their quote-unquote reimagined take on Star Trek, you know, right off the get-go in season one? Well, why are you kicking off your series with stuff like Unexpected, you know, where mm. Trip gets pregnant? Is that really going to draw in new viewers? And it's, you're playing, like, 
it for laughs where like all of a sudden trips is really worried about like um the safety of you know ladders you know it's like <laughs> okay you know it's just it felt as if okay look every series needs to find its feet but you'd think that you know wouldn't the Berman era, the, the Berman way of doing things, ha- have it figured out by now, you know, like how to kind of kick things off? I actually think that Voyager started off fairly strong. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't think it had that problem that so many other Star Trek shows do as well. So, I, I but I, I'm with you, Cam. Like, you kind of, like, you look at, like, the, um, the, the great episodes, and there are a couple ones, you know, like... Um, I like uh, Dear Doctor, Shuttle Pod 1. Those are interesting ones. I think Shockwave was trying to kind of tie in the Temporal Cold War in a way that I, I thought was interesting. Um, but like you said, there's just too many mediocre episodes in this one, like more so than any other season of Enterprise. And that's why I surprisingly, I have season one at the bottom of my list for these rankings here. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it credit for a couple things as well, because I don't think this is a terrible season. When we were ranking TNG, like and we're kicking around seasons one and two. I think those are pretty terrible seasons of Star Trek. Um, I don't think Enterprise is bad. I just think it's really mediocre in that first season. And I'll give them some points though. Like I think Fallen Hero is a really strong episode. I talked about that one in our Hidden Gems one recently. But also, I don't think it started great. But uh, with the Andorian incident, but bringing in Shran and kind of fleshing that out through the season with Shadows of Pajem. These are not the greatest episodes in the Andorian arc of Enterprise, but they're starting off something I think really interesting that'll carry forward in a strong way. And that's something that a lot of the other Star Trek shows didn't do as promisingly out of the gate. Like, look at Season 1 Voyager, which is like trying to get you all in on the um, the Kazon. Uh, it felt like Enterprise had a good hook with the, uh, the Andorian stuff, not so much the um, Temporal Cold War. Well, let's say the Andorian stuff and the Kazon stuff we can agree they probably didn't start off all that engaging, but what if you had kind of an actor of Jeffrey Combs's caliber playing like the Maj Kala role mm. on Voyager? Like, I wonder how that would have changed our minds or maybe inspired the writers of Voyager to kind of carry on with the Kazon in uh, a way that would have made the viewers that much more engaged as well. It's a damning sign that I can't remember the name of the guy who played Maj Kala. I... I... <laughs> I, I don't think anybody could blame you for that. <laughs> He's never been at a convention, has he? I If he ever goes, Cam, we are getting our photo with him, right? But we'll have to like grow out our hair and do it that way. Oh, uh, that goes without saying. Case on yes. style. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll also get sunburnt um, right before we go in. Not hard. <laughs> no, not for us. <laughs> okay. Uh, Cam, so what is next? Uh, what is your third favorite season or what is the third best season of enterprise uh, according to you so the one i was jockeying back and forth not a surprise season two and season two is one that going in i honestly thought would be last place because of the sense of losing um kind of the momentum that i felt like season one had the first time around with the the epic journey to risa um (laughs) Which, by the way, was paid off in two days and two nights in season one. One of the great episodes of Enterprise, so I think we can all agree that journey was worth it. Um, but season um, two... <laughs> it was okay. Did you know Michael Dorn directed that one? Did he? I didn't I didn't remember that. Oh, yeah. interesting. I, I need to ask him about directing Enterprise at a convention. That, that'd be... I don't know. He's complained... Well, not necessarily complained, but he has said it, it's been kind of hard uh, directing Star Trek, just in his experience. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed from that episode. <laughs> <laughs> no. But season two, uh, when 
when I break it down, it still has the problems that season one does in terms of the temporal Cold War stuff. It's just, we know it's going nowhere. Um, they kind of drop it, though, uh, more or less by the end. And that is very refreshing. It has just a stronger collection of episodes. And that was something when, like you said, when I actually sat down and was like, how many episodes here do I want to rewatch? There was a lot, actually. A fair number. And the only real dud I felt like was Precious Cargo, which is, you know, if you only got one, you know, a real, real dud, then that's not so bad. It just had a lot of, I think, very strong episodes, but not great episodes. I felt like in terms of the actual great episodes in the season, it was pretty much on par with season one. It just had a more consistent run of good episodes. Uh, I, I would throw Horizon down there at the bottom of my list, along with Precious Cargo as myself. Personally. Oh, that was one of the three great ones I was referring oh, to. <laughs> well, then I don't think we'll ever be able to agree on uh, our rankings here. Um, yeah, but, but Cam, I, I, I'm with you. Season two, this is my third uh, ranked uh, uh, season out of all of Enterprise. It was it was just fascinating going through the list and realizing that like I've been carrying my own personal um, biases against this series for a long, long time. But when push comes to shove, there's a lot of like this is a way more solid season. Like the consistency is just there in a way that we did not get in season one. There's not that many episodes that I would just want to skip over just because of how like boring I remember them being, you know? Even Precious Cargo, while terrible, is not like a, I'm so bored I need to skip it. It's more like you just sit there and roll your eyes at the, <laughs> just how poorly conceived it was. But I also just look at how they are having fun within the mythology of this universe that they've been building, this world building that they've done for the last you know two seasons here. You get an episode like Carbon Creek, which you simply would not have gotten in season one of Enterprise. You, you also have something like First Flight, you know, telling like the story of how Jonathan ended up becoming the captain of the NX-01, like leading that Warp 5 project. Like it's that sort of fun stuff that you can only get by, you know, kind of building on the mythology and your investment in these characters for so long. And those are just the highlights. Like, look, there's like an episode like, um, I, I, I don't know, like uh, Bounty, which um, it, it's perfectly fine. It's, we've got the, uh, what are they called? The Tellerites, you know, yeah. coming back, you know? It, it's like, it, it's not going to blow you out of the water, but it's definitely something that you're just curious about how uh, kind of Tellerites are going to be at this stage of uh, development within Star Trek. And I think they actually just the idea of them having fun being more playful within this universe it, it really is shining through at this point yeah i'm glad you brought up bounty because i actually had that one noted just as you know when you talk about engaging more with the mythology of the franchise they do that a fair amount in season two you know you get judgment which has like you know kind of like the klingon prison stuff um you also have regeneration which it's polarizing with fans but it is sort of a attempt to kind of bring in borg mythology it feels like this is kind of what the show was pitching itself as right out of the gate where they were saying this is about the first days of the uh, you know the federation and starfleet and all that and going out into space like the things we're going to discover and then we really just dealt with angry vulcans a lot <laughs> in season one <laughs> and you're like okay we got that in rise okay i guess that's sure sure enough but like season two it felt like they were actually okay we don't need to focus on these things as being ongoing elements like we the Andorians or the Vulcans in season one. It feels like season two, they're just like, let's have some larks, you know, let's bring in the Borg in for an episode. Let's do some crazy things. Let's also just have some fun character-centric episodes like, you know, Singularity, which is just like one of those high-concept episodes where, like, everyone gets obsessed with little things and you have Trip trying to fix Archer's chair for a whole episode. Things like that are really fun to watch. 
I no, I, I'm with you there. Um, my chair could use a fixin' uh, every hmm. once in a while as well. But um, but I, I think that there's this kind of cloud hanging over the season to a certain degree in that ratings were going down and down and down. And I don't think the writers were creatively inspired by the studio mandated temporal cold war sort of uh, you know storyline that they had to pursue here. I think we got maybe like after Shockwave, maybe only like uh, one or two more Temporal Cold War episodes, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, 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 then I think they're given like a new mission statement, which is like, let's build up like another alien threat. And I think, you know, going into season three, well, maybe let's talk about the expanse. And if we're judging a season, um, holistically, you know, you started off with Shockwave Part 2, which is almost kind of like trying to give a little bit of a bow to the Temporal Cold War, and then you end it with The Expanse, which is kind of like planting the seeds for what's going to come. Even just the stuff with Trip and his sister, him having to deal with that sort of pathos there. You know, like, I, I think it is interesting how the show started to, like, get more confident about itself, and then had to reinvent itself in a way just because of kind of those, those macro issues creatively and just from a ratings perspective that were, you know, hitting the show at that point. Yeah. And it also feels like they had more confidence in their characters in season two, which, you know, season one, they recognized to Paul is going to be a really interesting character because they're giving her episodes like, you know, fusion, for example, which is, you know, problematic, but it shows that they are intent on exploring that character. But season two is where I feel like they suddenly said, hey, we could do things with Trip. Like, there's a lot we can do with this character. So, you know, you'll have an episode like Cogenitor, which is like, you know, kind of the classic Star Trek episode where the crew meets an alien species and gets involved and b bad things happen. Like, that is, I think, a really great episode for Trip. Um, but then you end that season with the expanse and the death of his sister. And they are basically indicating right with that episode, this is a character that's going to be going through a lot of emotional you know turmoil over the coming seasons and it's a really great hook to end the season because not only is it explosive it now is dealing with a character that we actually spend a fair amount of time getting to know especially in season two well my feelings on trip changed and to paul changed quite a bit throughout the course of the series like when seasons uh, you know season one kicks off like i i think they did to paul a, a bit of a disservice by like making her kind of that uh stereotypical shrill woman character for much of season one um mm. they had moments in which she was able to like kind of uh be far more engaging but it really was season two uh that i i think they she really did come into her own at least from my perspective but trip i just thought it was kind of goofy and, and not all that interesting in season one they're giving him so much more to do and i think it speaks to how you learn how to use your actors in a way um to let like their best elements shine through but kim what does that tell you where you, you see characters like mayweather and hoshi that just get increasingly sidelined like what is the standout hoshi episode in season two like i can't think of it vanishing point right was it okay uh, like is that it's not the one where she's kidnapped by the telepathic alien that's like season three yeah i know like, it's the one where she g believes she's gone through a transporter accident uh okay sure she gets one episode out of like 20 plus you know yeah and mayweather gets horizon yeah those aren't standout episodes it feels like season two was where they lost interest in those characters like they gave them like one, uh, there may be a second Hoshi one in there. I'm just not spotting, but it feels like they gave them each an episode and said, 
yeah, those weren't great episodes, although that's on the page. That's not on the actors. And then they were kind of done. Yeah. Wow. I have a question for you, though, in that we've talked, you know, about Trip and T'Pol and Mayweather and Hoshi. um, And I want to actually make a note that Minefield does a fair amount to develop uh, Malcolm Reed. So they're working with that character a bit as well through season two. But we're now, you know, at the point where we've talked about seasons one and two. Do you feel like they've figured out Archer yet? No, not at all. I don't think they really figured him out, honestly, until midway through season three. I, at least for me as a viewer, I just didn't know what his most defining characteristics were beyond getting beaten up and feeding his dog cheese. Yeah, and some of the dynamics they still haven't figured out because season two is also where we have a night in sickbay where he's like having sex dreams about T'Pol through the episode. It's so weird. Um, speak for yourself. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's just kind of like the Archer deal is like, I wonder if the earnestness that is Scott Bakula, it, it shined through in a way that maybe they, they didn't mean to. And that, like, I think they wanted a very earnest, you know, this is the seeds of the Federation sort of television series. And I wonder if what they needed is more of like a hard-nosed sort of captain going out um, on these voyages uh, for the first time where humanity is going that deep into space. And I just wonder if you needed more of a Cisco or Janeway-esque character in this role rather than uh, an Archer-esque sort of character. Yeah, I know what you mean with Bakula in that it feels like um you know we have that episode first flight in season two and keith carradine plays the competitor for the captain of the enterprise and i'm very happy with where we wound up with scott Bakula as archer but you feel as well like keith carradine would have made a much quicker impression like he's a very specific type of actor and the earnestness of um archer is something that definitely took me a while to get used to because you don't really tune into Star Trek for your captains just to watch them be earnest and nothing else. It's kind of a weird quality. Yeah, what if your captain was Neelix? <laughs> oh, God. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I want to give them ideas so I can get the royalties for the, the CBS's Star Trek Captain Neelix spinoff that we're inevitably going to get. Sea Monkeys and Neelix spinoffs. Yes, we're full yes. of ideas today. Yeah, it's like... Um, Bakula is an actor I remember struggling with, though, when I started, you know, watching the show and that he did feel kind of flat. And he's not an actor who had leaped out to me in the past. So it felt like a weird fit for sure. It's just interesting because you see him in his post-Enterprise career. I found him, and I don't know if it's because of my viewing of Enterprise, and I'm just so used to the actor, but I found him that much more engaging. And I just mm-hmm. wonder, um, you know, something like Behind the Candelabra, for example, or he did a show, um, uh, Men of a Certain Age, on TNT that got a lot of rave reviews with him, Andre Brower, and Ray Romano. And there's just like, um, <laughs> Bakula's actually playing like this kind of suave uh, guy, like a guy with a bit of an edge on that TNT cable series. And it's just kind of fascinating to see how, I think he was just trying to take the spirit of Star Trek in, in a way in those first few seasons and, and do his own thing with it. But I just, I don't know if it quite worked in the early goings of Enterprise. And also we've seen Bakula on the stage in like Las Vegas and he seems so likable. Like he's so fun. 
Um, more than, you know, courteous to the fans. I actually, you know, got an autographed photo with him. And he stopped and talked to, like, every person that went through. He had a huge line. Could not have been nicer. And he wrote on my note, like, it was for the 50th anniversary con. He wrote, like, have a happy 50th. He didn't have to do that. A lot of actors don't. A lot of actors, you get the half signature. Um, Scott Bakula was always willing to make, I think, the effort for fans. And it's hard not to like him a lot just as a person. But doesn't Archer doesn't click. And I think part of the problem is earnest characters are tough to write. And it's something that Marvel really nailed with Captain America. And DC got really scared of doing with Superman. They just were almost too timid to even try. Because when it goes wrong, it comes across as bland. And I think that... I don't think Enterprise is like really, you know, hitting the the low end of quality with writing Archer. I just think they're not quite nailing the inspiring quality of Archer. I just wonder if the way to play it was, you know, all those moments in, uh, you know, the Captain America movies where, you know, uh, stuff like he's like, hey, I get that reference. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wonder if there could have been more of those moments with Archer interacting with other aliens. And where he's got the kind of like golly gee sort of diplomacy attitude with other aliens. But when he's with his crew, or if, you know, they're at red alert, that's when he goes into super hard-nosed captain mode, kind of like how Janeway would do all the time when inevitably at the end of the episode, the lights would dim, they'd go to red alert, and they'd have to brute force their way out of whatever situation they found themselves in. They never really put Archer in a lot of fun situations, did they? You know, there's some Rises stuff. You know, I did like the episode Home early in season four, but yeah. I those are two examples out of a hundred episodes, you know? Like they would give him those dinners with T'Pol and Trip in his quarters, <laughs> but like you look at the other captains, you'll have scenes where Janeway's like in the mess hall with the crew. Like you get the sense of more of a camaraderie as well as with like Kirk and Spock and Bones and all that hanging out, you know. Picard, a little more aloof, but you still get scenes where he is kind of having fun with his crew. Archer seems a little more sealed off, um, even though on paper he's probably the most approachable captain. Do you think it's just, it's Porthos that is his window to just letting loose? (laughs) I think it is. Also the fact they're very much underwriting characters like Mayweather, um, Reed, and Hoshi, so they don't they're not being brought into the kind of the inner sanctum with Archer. So we get more of a group dynamic. It's just the three of them really to Paul trip and Archer and to Paul, especially early on is kind of aloof. We haven't quite, you know, set those, uh, the tone of their relationship. So it's kind of just Archer and trip a lot of the time. Archer, it was kind of a missed opportunity for him to play like a mentor figure to either, you know, Mayweather or Hoshi like I really do think that that was like kind of an opportunity that would have seemed obvious and would have pulled at least one of those two characters into his orbit a little bit more that would have benefited both uh, both of the Archer and whoever the younger Ensign was and they were setting that up with Hoshi it seemed in the pilot where he went to recruit her for the mission it seemed like they were you know friends and knew each other you got the sense that he would be actually a little bit of a mentor in terms of becoming a member of Starfleet, but nope. <laughs> well, I, I was also thinking about the whole Mayweather deal and the whole kind of like hook of his character is like uh, he was a space boomer. He's uh, gone to all these other planets, albeit at like a faster warp speed. So the problem is like, how can you really be in awe of everything if your pilot has already been there, done that, you know? 
Yeah. So it's kind of like that's why I can understand that that character was a little bit uh, pushed to the side. Uh, would have opened the doors more to Hoshi, I think, for her to kind of like shine through. So I don't know why they never jumped on that. Um, Cam, I will. I, I I'm curious what our next respective ratings for the second best season of enterprise will be here um because you and i we've talked about this over the years and sometimes uh we go back and forth but for me and i hope we can come to a consensus but i have season three after seasons one and two Uh, like it seems as if it's going on kind of like this um uh ascent for me like every season of enterprise gets that much better that much better but for me, the reason I have season three here is there really is a mission statement. We get that in the expanse in the finale of season two, and you kick it off with the Zindi, and you're just going kind of full throttle. Like they have a mission, they need to uncover why the Zindi are trying to destroy them. Let's go from there. There is, of course, like more of that reintroduction of the temporal Cold War to a certain degree at, at points throughout the season. But I just find the consistency of season three um, far outdoes the consistency uh, we saw in season two, which we both agreed what was better than season one. But um, what are your thoughts on maybe how we're going to rank, you know, the second best uh, season of Star Trek Enterprise? I'm with you on this one, actually. I had season three at um, at second place. And that I was mostly sure of. And I think for me, a big part of the reason is Look, I really like season three Enterprise. I think it's a considerable jump up than the first two seasons in terms of storytelling. Um, but it feels like when I when I look at that season, there's a lot of great episodes. I'm sure we'll talk about in you know, the next few minutes. But um, it feels as well like a show that's figuring out that it wants to do serialized storytelling across the board. But it hasn't quite figured out the more standalone stories that are going to happen along the way like when i really break down the ones that are a little more standalone there's only like impulse is really good you and i have a certain affection for north star although i don't know that many people are going to put north star on their uh list of the all-time great enterprise episodes but it feels like otherwise they're kind of struggling a little more it doesn't feel as inspired but I will say, like, a lot of the genius of this season is the Zindi War arc, and I think they had a great hook for it. Um, They expand on the characters a lot, and they do something that Star Trek doesn't often do, which is, it's a little controversial. People have strong, you know, opinions on Season 3 Enterprise. Some people really don't care for what it does to the characters in Season 3. And I kind of admire the tenacity of the, uh, you know, the creative team to be willing to do that because you got the sense in a lot of the other Star Trek shows they weren't willing to. Well, it, it's fascinating because you bring up the kind of controversy surrounding this one. And, and, you know, talk to John Billingsley at a convention. Um, they never gave Fox more to do on Star Trek Enterprise than what he had to do in season three. But the actor, John Billingsley, wasn't necessarily happy about it. Like he found this to be a, a rather jingoistic season in direct response to not only 9-11, but the Iraq war, you know, in which uh, you really are pushing uh, for a brute force response to people that have sort of uh, different worldviews than you do at this point. We even have the introduction of the Makos here, which are very much kind of the uh, let, let's uh, knock some heads sort of response to all of our problems rather than the typical diplomacy that we see engaged in Star Trek. And then you get an episode like Damage 
which really pushes Archer to a dark edge in a way that we've never seen him before. And I don't think we'll ever see after as well. Like his willingness to just leave another alien ship adrift, uh, not for the right reason, but simply Archer needs to, you know, uh, or I should say not for a moralistic reason, but simply because Archer needs to complete his mission here at all costs. You know, like the fact that maybe Star Trek raises these questions, I think that's interesting. I I, I want Star Trek to raise these questions. And um, I think I, in a vacuum, maybe this one, uh, maybe John Billingsley can sit down and watch this one and I kind of appreciate what it's doing Um rather than kind of thinking about where he was and where America was at this time when, you know, like it's all about the war and terror and invading Iraq and all that like that. But it's kind of a fascinating sort of artifact from like the early 2000s as well. But to me, it also feels like a very honest response from the creators. Like it may come across as very jingoistic, you know, in certain ways, but it was their honest response at the time. And maybe they wouldn't write it that way now, but it feels like it was very specifically of that time and moment. And I don't think that's a bad thing ultimately for a show to be. I think that makes it much more interesting to talk about. Yeah, we got that every once in a while in like the original series, you know, but like, I, I don't know. Do you go back and watch an episode of, you know, like the survivors from Next Generation? And you're like, ooh, that's a real co big commentary on like the presidency of, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> George Herbert Walker Bush, you know, like, you know. <laughs> I also um, have to appreciate, you know, when you say that um, some fans didn't care for season three because it didn't have the diplomacy um, that uh, Star Trek was so known for. And then I look at like a lot of what Star Trek Discovery does and I'm like, boy, season three uh, Enterprise, not so shabby now, huh, guys? <laughs> no, no, not really. <laughs> but look, there's some standouts here, like uh, E Squared, like that is just kind of a fun sci-fi conceit, you know, uh, meeting your descendants. We saw that before in Deep Space Nine uh, with Children of mm -hmm. Time. But even stuff like Similitudes, um, I'll always be there for North Star. It's just, it's kind of a, it's, it's more fun than you'd expect, you know, but um, what were some of the standouts for you as well, Cam? Um, Twilight is a big one for me. That that might be my favorite episode in all of Enterprise. It's yeah. certainly up there. Um, although it is notable, I did a rewatch of it recently and um, Mayweather dies and no one ever comments on it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh God, <laughs> this poor character. <laughs> but uh, also very notable to me is the Zindi arc um, I don't think it's a seamless arc across the board. Like, I think it has its fits and starts. But the conclusion, like, the last three or four episodes that tie it up are so strong. Like, there is real momentum. And I remember watching these on DVD and just burning through them. Like, just binging them because I couldn't stop watching the wrap-up to the Season 3 arc. Like, and it's explosive. It has Archer outrunning explosions. What more could I want? Oh, wait, there's a horrible tag on the season involving space Nazis. I don't care. I can ignore that. The rest of it was so badass. It is one of those kind of serialized story, serialized storytelling instances in which, like, they were successful at, like, wanting you to see what happens next week whereas like i don't know like w did we feel all that compelled watching picard week to week to just you know keep like powering through like not necessarily yeah oh totally totally so like it's an arc that i i do remember losing a little bit of patience with it in spots i remember watching the episode carpenter street and being like okay <laughs> like or the hatchery where like archer wants to like what does he want to do like protect like a hatchery of zindi babies or something i was just like 
Okay, guys, like, I, I get it, you want to tie all these episodes to the overall arc, but, like, hatchery is not the way I really want to spend an hour of my life. But what I do love about this season is you introduce some characters like Degra, who I think is really interesting, and he's not a flashy Star Trek character. Like, no. I don't know how many people really talk about Degra that much, but he's a pretty layered, interesting character that... Maybe he's, what makes him so great is that he isn't flashy and ultra, you know, cool. He is just a kind of deep-layered character that's much more intellectual than a emotional character, but I really enjoy the journey of Dagra. He's the uh, Star Trek Lower Decks equivalent of Commander Billups. <laughs> he kind of is, although he's a little more charismatic. And yeah. just his, he's got more his entire character yeah. journey is really interesting. So I, I'm totally down for that. I will note there's... The two episodes that are the real dogs of the season. They must be maimed. Number one, Extinction. The one where like some of the crew turn into aliens. That episode is yeah. unbelievably bad. Also, Exile, the one you referenced earlier, where Hoshi winds up with the telepath, uh, telepathic alien. I, I wasn't necessarily like a big fan of Regine as well. Mm, like, yeah. you know, uh, which I, I mean, a lot of the episodes we're naming, they're kind of early in the season, you know. But I think they kicked it off pretty good with the first couple episodes, like Zindian and Amelie. And I think yeah. uh, the Vulcan zombie episode was early on. Uh, that was Impulse. I think that aired reasonably close to Halloween, which is kind of funny. But um, yeah, that, to me, it, I'll say this. Uh, you and uh, Fallen co-host uh, Benjamin Young convinced me to go back and watch Enterprise after more than a decade. I, I started off the season three, and I think it was the episode The Shipment. You know, it, it, if it was Dawn that made me, you know... Uh, float away from the series it was the shipment that brought me back in and which i realized like okay this really does feel like star trek uh to me once again like i, I i'm with them on this journey let's see where we go from here on out and so um yeah I, I i think this is such a solid season and i think this i think season three of enterprise it totally stacks up against any of the best seasons ever produced of star trek if we're ever going to do an all-time season rankings of some sort like i really do think it takes just one of those giant leaps that we sometimes see in television um, storytelling definitely and also really great utilization of shran in season three um this character you get some amazing conflict with archer when they're trying to you know fight over the Zindi weapon they want to recover. But also, later on, when Shran's swooping in to save the day, like Han Solo, my god, it's incredible and paves the way for a character that is going to pay off big in the next season. Did, did you just call him Shran Solo? <laughs> I did now. Okay. Uh, Kev, I, I guess uh, you can uh, kind of deliver the message here. What is the best season of Star Trek Enterprise? Season four, of course, the final season unfortunately what was what was your journey like in because you've gone um back and forth between seasons three and four what was your journey like landing on season four as your all-time favorite part of it was looking at how it balanced the serialization with its individual episodes um i just feel like season four is really strong there it feels like they really cracked down on exactly what the show is and ultimately i just had to ask myself if we were to get a season five enterprise and onwards do I want the seasons to feel more like season three or season four? And the answer was season four, because I think they figured out their show. Can I ask you this? Because um, I've always take that, taken that holistic bent towards our rankings. And if mm -hmm. you're trying to kick things off with like a mission statement and then wrap things up by the end, 
I don't necessarily think it succeeded that well if you're mm -hmm. starting it off with Stormfront parts one and two and you're ending with these are the voyages. But I have no problem like excising those uh, bookends and looking at everything that's in the middle because if you start from home, which is an episode that I think you really do need to have after you've just put your crew through torture, you do need a bit of a breather. That's a really strong one. And then you end it with uh, Terra Prime and Demons, which I think in, I think you'd like to believe this is like the real finale of Enterprise. I think it's like a really good kind of way to think of the season holistically and everything that's in between there is just exceptional. Like you, you're going off with the Augments arc, then you're picking it up with the Vulcan politics arc, and then you've got the Romulan arc. You've got like, how did Klingons get their ridges arc, Cam? You know, my all-time <laughs> favorite arc in season four. Also the Mirror Universe two-parter. I mean, what I really love about season four is that it's doing what the show kind of promised it would do from day one, which is it is the first crew out there, you know, exploring, but we're going to bring in established elements of Star Trek. And it feels like they're doing it with much more depth in season four, like the augments alone. It's like a three season, um, or a three season. It's a three episode uh, arc. And I don't know that I ever dreamed I'd be getting a three episode arc on augments, but this is like the best con story since Wrath of Khan, and it's the best. It's the last great con story we've gotten. What you're you're not a fan of Into Darkness? <laughs> it's the last great con story <laughs> we've gotten. <laughs> yeah, but it's like they're have okay. So Bron uh, Braga did a interview, and he said that you know season four should have been season one of Enterprise. I, I might want to push back on that, and like I I don't know if I would have given up on Enterprise back in the day had season two kick things off you know do you do you because i think they really did kind of have a lot more urgency with the storytelling by season two but like honestly if like season four was the kickoff season i don't know if like i would have stuck around with the show it had it kept going in that direction for an extended period of time like i don't know if i would have given up after one and a half seasons at that point like i just think they're having a lot of fun within the mythology which i pointed out in season two as well but cam if you're even doing like um kind of like there's some dopey standalones you know like daedalus it's probably like after these are the voyagers it's probably my least favorite of that season but even like observer effect uh, that feels like classic Star Trek to me. Bound feels like classic Star Trek to me. And if you've got that all wrapped up and, and, and like uh, in a mirror darkly, that two-parter, that might go down as my favorite, you know, uh, two episodes of Enterprise as well. It's like, I, I, I like that they are digging into the mythology that has existed for like 500, 600 episodes within this universe. And you can play around with like what we know of the Kirk era, but they're also kind of playing around with what we know of like the, the 24th century as well, which is like kind of a hoot. Yeah, like you dismissed those, you know, kind of four episodes, the Stormfront two-parters, uh, Daedalus, and These Are the Voyages. You take those four off the table. There's not a single bad episode this season. They are, at the very least, really interesting and entertaining episodes. Um, it, it's a really strong batch. And I just wish Manny Cotto had gotten to do a season five. Because I think, you know, he was kicking around ideas of, you know, more Romulan War stuff. Um, also a, um, like, Cloudminders arc, which would deal with uh, Stratos, that planet from Cloudminders. And I'm like, it sounds like we would have gotten really cool, interesting things. Because I feel like season four was him testing the waters in safer areas, you know, with, like, the Endorians, the Vulcans, Klingons, Augments. Like, things that are 
more celebrated in Star Trek. It feels like season five, he would have been digging into some of the more obscure, iconic elements of Star Trek. And I just, it kills me we never got it. I, what, what are your thoughts on, like, um, the next showrunner for Star Trek Picard, he was one of the writers on Enterprise. Uh, he, he did some Voyager episodes as well. Like, do you th- think that there is hope that they can bring kind of that that fun spirit when Enterprise had kind of figured itself out into Picard? You know, like, I, I do wonder a lot just with bringing Q back. That could be a lot of fun. It looks as if there might be some alternate timelines that could be kind of fun in season two of Picard. Like, do you have at least... Um, higher hopes going into it, you know, with, with some of the pedigree of, you know, uh, uh, Enterprise at its best, you know, coming back to kind of hopefully fix things up a little better in Picard? Well, I will say this. I'm somewhat encouraged that they're not marketing like a dark show with Picard season two. It feels like as soon as you have Q, Q there, even if it is a more serious take on Q, like Tapestry or something, you can still have a fun, enjoyable time just watching character storytelling. So I'm hoping that that's what he brings to that. Because there's, you know, you look at the the um, Andorian arc in season four. It has some dark elements with the Romulans and, you know, the treatment of the Anar in there. But it is fun Star Trek storytelling. So I hope we have that in Picard. Because I think you can balance the two. I, I'm not a fan of the, now we're dark. This is violent Trek. It's like, that's really one note. Like, the whole fun of Star Trek is that it kind of runs the gamut. Why are we always trying to stick to one note? That's not entertaining. Yeah, and it's so weird because, okay, even in, like, uh, season three, which is that more of that monolithic serialized storytelling, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get week to week. Like, it can jump into kind of a different... Like, I, I just think about how you've got, like, the, the Vulcan zombies in Impulse, and then, like, the next week, uh, you're going to get something like, um, well... It's not the best example, but the one that comes up next is uh, Exile, which is the uh, the Hoshi telepathy <laughs> one. But then Perfect. You can, yeah, but Perfect. Then, then, then you can jump over to the shipment, which is like a really solid one. And like, I, I, I what you're saying, though, is 100% correct. Like Trek at its best is when it's running the gamut as opposed to being like this one monolithic thing. And I think maybe with a possibility of Q and them jumping between different timelines that could open the possibility for like, maybe there's a darker timeline. Maybe there's like kind of a, a lighter timeline where things work out better for some people. Maybe there's a goofy clown posse co- timeline or something. And yes, <laughs> goofy, clown, goofy posse. <laughs> clown, clown posse. That's, that's a thing in Star Trek. Is that uh, Michael McKeon from uh, Voyager <laughs> showing up from, from the, the thaw, thaw, the thaw. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he now has a rap group. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be uh, yeah, he's um, Violent Voyager. <laughs> That's uh, awful. <laughs> I'm not putting ICP music at the end of this episode, by okay. the way, folks. <laughs> well, uh, Cam, uh, l- l- let me ask you this uh, as we kind of close off our discussion of season four. How do we kind of square that circle with regards to these are the voyages being um, just mm. um, a... a what I think we agree is the worst finale. Uh, we've talked about Turnabout Intruder, but ultimately Turnabout Intruder, it, it didn't really sour the legacy of that series, where I think these are the voyages did kind of sour the legacy of Enterprise, at least to some people. It did, yeah. I mean, it's a horrible series uh, finale, and we did it uh, <laughs> more than uh, justice with our ranking the uh, series finales and what have you. We've talked about that one a lot, but the one thing I can always say about that one is, like, that's not a Manny Cotto joint. That's like a Berman Braga, we're going to wrap up our Star Trek era 
episode, so it kind of just feels like, I don't know, like an epilogue on Enterprise. Like, what Manny Cotto was interested in doing with Star Trek, he mostly finishes with the Demon's Terra Prime two-parter. That's why I can totally kind of... Okay, uh, all you can kind of, like, rationalize it, like, the star date for All Our Yesterdays actually takes place after Turnabout, you know? And I can just rationalize it in my head, well, this is just some dopey holodeck adventure that Riker goes on. Uh, the true finale in my mind is Demon's Terra Prime. I will say this, though. The hug between T'Pol and Archer, just before Archer goes to do his speech, that mm. is a legit great moment. That moment actually does work for me. I really feel as if I've been on this long journey with two characters that have really gone through the ringer with one another and truly do care about each other. I, I just, I, I could live without that moment if that meant we had to give up These Are the Voyages as part of, like, canon. That is... I think the only redeeming moment of that finale, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> like there's nothing else. <laughs> Boy, that's grim. Um, yeah, because like you got Shran and the, the the jewel and all that. I don't I don't really recall a lot of character moments. I don't recall like um, you know farewells to Reed and Mayweather and Hoshi and those characters at all. Well, just. If you count him going into the MRI machine with a smile on his face. <laughs> what did Phlox do? I don't even remember him in that episode. I don't think he really did anything. Like, I, it's just, it, it wasn't a great goodbye to... No. Yeah, so... Yeah, so it, it's just kind of... It's such an across-the-board dud that I think I have to overlook it because season four is so great otherwise that you're just better off for your own sanity just pretending that that finale never happened. Yeah. Wow. All right, so why don't we recount our rankings here? Um, this is much different than how the Voyager one went, in which uh, we could come to a consensus. But you and I agree, it goes season one, season two, season three, season four in uh, descending order. Not predictable at all. No, but it is. I, I think this is our first Star Trek rankings in which we've kind of said, like, the, the show just naturally is on an ascent. Like, there is no, you know, maybe season six is you know, uh, way worse than season three, you know, like maybe we had with a couple of the other shows. That just makes it, though, that much more of a bummer we didn't get season five. Because when we talk about TOS, it only got three seasons, but it was very clear season three, the gas was running low in the tank, yeah. especially when you get towards the end there. Um, you know, with Enterprise, it really seemed like the sky was the limit. And it just, it's such a bummer that it was cut short. Well, um, are you surprised there hasn't been like, I don't know, a comic book series or something that's tried to tackle it, or I don't know. They won't uh, take my pitches. No. I've tried many okay. times. Do you think, well, you know, one thing to maybe um, maybe finish off with, there was the DS9 documentary. They are currently working on a Voyager documentary. Do you think we'll get an Enterprise one, or do you think there's not yet enough, you know, fanfare for that show? I would say that the esteem that people hold and the fandom ha that exists just grows every single year uh, at least based on my convention experience i don't think it's a pipe dream that we could get an enterprise uh documentary but i do think it would be a bit of pipe dream for them to out fundraise uh say the voyager or deep space nine documentaries like i don't think that would ever happen i also don't think the enterprise one would play in theaters uh probably not no yeah, but it is something to note that, you know, when I first started going to Star Trek cons back in 2010, you'd see like 
one enterprise, you know, outfit. And now you see them everywhere. Yeah. Do you think that uh, Jolene Blaylock would just inevitably be pulling a uh, a, uh, a Ben Cisco or uh, sorry, an Avery Brooks sort of situation, which they just have to rely on archival footage of her sort of interviews? You know, I don't know, because I remember watching the special features on the Enterprise Blu-rays, and they had these very elaborate documentaries each season. And I remember watching the season one one, and she didn't appear at all in season one. And I was like, well, I guess she wasn't coming back to talk about Enterprise. And then suddenly she shows up in the season two doc. And then she's right through seasons two through four. So the fact they got her back to do all these Blu-ray special features... Maybe. Maybe oh. it's not impossible. I, I will happily um, dig into what her insights will be, you know, 15 years later. Yeah, I would be totally down. Her character went through, I, I would say, the biggest journey out of all of the characters on the show. And I think it would be a disservice if we did not get to hear her reflect on that character's journey over the course of four years. Yeah, totally. And I would like a maybe separate section where, um, you know, Anthony Montgomery can talk about where he would have liked to have seen uh, Mayweather go because... My God. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, it just bugs me because you watch Men in Mirror Darkly and like this actor has charisma. He has gravity. Like why not use that? I never understand that when it comes to casting a show, especially like it's not like Enterprise had a big cast. Why not exploit your like what, like six people? Um, yeah. Voyager had like 10 and they gave all of them at least something to do. Yeah, some of them were maybe given a little more short shrift than others, but they still were given a fair amount. But there is no one comparable to a Mayweather in any other Star Trek show, I don't think. In um, terms of, like, just how unused they are. Commander Nan from uh, Season 3 of Discovery. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> On that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you. Jump onto the Facebook page at facebook.com slash subspacepod. Tyler, what are we doing next time? Cam bad remakes uh star trek guilty of it uh you're doing like 700 eight hours 800 hours at this point you're gonna maybe do kind of like unofficial sequels or kind of tie into um more of those tropes um there's so much to mine here cam so uh look forward to bad remakes next week you can of course find us on the twitter i'm at cam v is in vanishing point smith oh no no violent j for you well then oh i also thought of vault of seeds but i was like no i've got to make it enterprise specific okay you can find me at reportin uh, that's r-e-p-o-r-t-o-n-n as in nan got even less screen time than mayweather okay so until next time the arena is closed Transfer complete.